I'll stay on the porch Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Where you get that from? Grab a mic, spit one Let me hit that blind Pimp C, 8 ball and MJG Keep spitting that B to the IMP Bun B, that's Texas, baby Ballin' G, that's Memphis, baby Short dog, that's Business and Buckets we are live, episode 111, coming at you on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in the desert of Arizona. Lots of MMA action happening. We're going to recap last weekend's card, talk about the big UFC pay-per-view in Las Vegas this weekend, and uh, just talk about everything MMA. But before we talk MMA, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at the Business of Buckets podcast, and that's Fueled Supplements. Whether you guys are trying to run a 4040, you know, maybe lift over 400 pounds, um, enjoy life for more years in your 40s, 30s, 20s, your teens, Fueled Supplements has a variety of products that align exactly to your specific goals. So head to fueledsupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now, not as many fights been announced since the last week, um, but we did have some action in Bellator, or we do have some action in Bellator this weekend, and uh, some, some major things that, that have happened in the UFC world. So, Brian Battle subbing in for a not fucker Adinov, that should be a fun bout of an Ultimate Fighter alum. And Fakhar Adinov has looked like a legit problem in this division. So two young guys with a lot, not a lot of UFC experience going at it in the octagon. We have Lee Jingliang versus Jack Della Maddalena in the works for UFC 284 in Perth, Australia. Please, MMA gods, make this happen. That bout would be so much fun. So much smoke, so much power, so much action. Uh, that card's already stacked, but this would just take it to another level. Um, Robbie Lawler injury out this weekend at UFC 282. We'll talk about what has happened since. And also the Ovent St. Peru, the OSP fight is off. Um, he had a change of opponents. That opponent had a short notice fill-in, but has had visa issues. So he he's not going to have a fight on this card, sadly. So... No Robbie Lawler. The OSP fight is completely off. And also in UFC news, um, people weren't really sure what to think when TJ was cut off the UFC roster, saying, hey, you know, he's not officially off. It's just because he's out for some time. But him and his manager has officially announced his retirement. A lot of people want to say, oh, he's going to come back out of retirement, like Conor McGregor from his injury, all juiced up and on steroids. I mean, TJ Dillashaw, let's see how old he is here. Let's, let's get the specifics. I want to say just turned 37, or is about to turn 37. Um, he's 36, his birthday is February 7th, so he's going to be set, uh, 37 in February. And uh, his doctor supposedly said this, you know, shoulder injury, he's had multiple shoulder injuries, is going to be quite the road to recovery. And I, I mean, I would assume he would not fight next year. So that would be at 38 years old coming back into the octagon. And he has been off for so much time due to the PED instance, uh, the EPO, and then also his, his knee recovery. So 
Hate to see a guy like that go out this way. TJ Dillashaw is one of my favorite fighters once the WEC had merged with the UFC. He just has such a well-rounded game. He's tough. He's a competitor. He's a gamer. He'll do whatever he can do to get the win, obviously, with the EPO. Um, but coming to the UFC, I mean, he had lost to John Dodson, the ultimate fighter, early on in his career. Took a, you know, got some decent wins. Lost to Rafael Asuncao at the time. Fight of the night. Then went on a tear to get the title. He had beat Renan Perrault um, multiple times. That, those are really the coming out moments. He had lost to Dominic Cruz for the bantamweight. Revenged, avenged the Rafael Sunsell fight. Beat John Lineker. Double duty against Cody Garbrandt. Lost to Cejudo. Beat Corey Sanhagen. Lost to Aljamain. Um, just the well-roundedness of this guy. And I think bantamweight's one of the tougher divisions to be a champion and hold the title at. Um, eight uh, wins by knockout, three by submission, the rest decision, three of his five losses via knockout, 17-5 overall record. And, you know, what's his legacy going to be? I'm sure it's not going to be great. A lot of people want to be haters. Um, again, people still think he's going to go get juiced up, try to come back. Uh, but this was a guy I enjoyed as, as a, you know, an individual from what I've seen. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not pro uh, steroids and usually call them cheaters and things, but... I feel like there's a well-documented history of him that I just became a fan of. And even just looking at the fucking guy, if I was a good fighter, I'd want to beat the shit out of him. He reminds me of that, the, the bad guy and never back down who starts all the parties that, that's talking shit. Um, you know, he's got a very punchable face, the, the typical, like, Cali Blonde type of look. Uh, but I've really enjoyed him. He just fucking grits it out, man. He's a, he's a gamer. I like the way he presents himself. And, and he definitely had been one of my favorite fighters uh, since he came to the UFC. Hate to see him go out like that. I wish we could have saw, you know, some more of his years in his prime. I felt like we, we got taken away after those Garbrandt fights. A lot of good potential fights with TJ Dillashaw. I would have loved just to even see him take on a healthy Aljamain Sterling. Healthy TJ, healthy Aljamain. That would have been fantastic. Or maybe even Henry Cejudo and Bantamweight. But, uh, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Another crazy storyline uh, is all about James Krause. So following the fight involving Derek Minner on November 5th, the UFC was informed by sources that the suspicious bad betting patterns had been observed on the fight. In the weeks following the fight, the UFC has been cooperating with multiple ongoing government investigations into the facts and circumstances surrounding that contest. On November 18th, the Nevada State Athletic Commission informed UFC and Minner's coach, James Krause, that Krause's license would be suspended and he would remain so while NSAC... Um, conducted an investigation in the matter. The UFC has since advised Krause and respective managers working with the impacted fighters that effective immediately, fighters who choose to continue to be coached by Krause or continue to train in his gym will not be permitted to participate in UFC events pending the outcome of the aforementioned government investigations and further the UFC has released Derek Minner from the organization. I believe we touched base on this a little bit last week and from my knowledge, you know, I haven't dug deep into this. James Krause has been a coach, right? You know, he's coaching some, some high-level athletes, including, including Brandon Moreno, who's preparing for the fourth bout with Divison Figueredo. And he's going to be impacted the most. You know, he's going to have to have a whole new team. He, he fights, you know, in, in about a month. Um, and then this happens, you know, he has less than two months to get his shit together while having to probably start weight cutting and, and, and really diving into fight camp. So that's going to be interesting first off. But second off, you know, I had watched some of James Krause's YouTubes. I checked out his free Discord. I never paid up for the Discord. 
because uh, you know that's something that I'm potentially interested in giving my picks, providing insight and guidance uh, for people to make some cash money. And what, what my assumption is, is he knew this guy was hurt. He probably advised people to put money on it, maybe even potentially put money on it himself. And uh, the, the thing for me is, is, is that ideal? No. Does he have a lot of insight in betting and should you not be a manager and not be betting? Yes, but there was no, you know, quote unquote, laws, rules, regulations, legislations, whatever the fuck we want to call it, that told him he could not do that. That is, you know, part of the UFC who has now been part of DraftKings and other places where legal sports betting is becoming larger and larger. I know for me, a lot of my betting action is on the UFC. Obviously, I have no ties to anyone. I'm just a, a, a regular person, so there's no dirt on me. But as this has become popular and the UFC has blown up to the sport that it has come, they should have been on top of this. And I know that there's been people that have pulled away from allowing UFC betting because of this. And, you know, there's always going to be insiders. There's always going to be people. Now they're trying to say even people closely acquainted with fighters, family members, things like family members. People like that might not even be able to bet on them as well. And a lot of every other sports like that. I can't bet on my team if I'm an NFL player, AKA Calvin Ridley. Um, so there was no regulations in place. It's a hard world out there. People are always going to find the loopholes. There's, you gotta make things black and white. There was no, you can't have a gray area. That was a gray area. Do I think James Krause is a bad person? Do I think we should slander his name because of this? Absolutely not. Um, you know, he's playing the game. Uh, he's been playing the game. He's been a fighter. He's you know had had an amazing fighting career, and he said he had arms and legs, made more money on betting than he did anywhere else. Uh, he's blown up the social media, following YouTube, done things the right way, and now that's all going to be taken away from him. He is sub uh, poina, subpoena, whatever the hell it's called, where basically they're going to grab every kind of text information uh, from James Krause's team and whoever he's involved with, every little bit of detail. On what is going on to see you know what where the line needs to be crossed and what the consequences can be but this is a pretty major uh instance and it, it sucks that it falls on james kraus a, a great guy um you know i like the people that have gone to his camp he is just you could tell has an iq right um not to say i'm on his level but playing sports growing up i didn't have the most athletic ability i didn't have parents to guide me on how to train eat well now that's all things I've learned on my own, and, and now we have social media and, and apps and places to learn that information, and, and it's really helped me. Uh, but I didn't have the most knowledgeable, you know, guidance when it comes to those things. And uh, I don't know, it just sucks because um, with James Krause, you know, he, he, you could, I, I felt like relating to that story, I had a very high IQ when I was playing sports, but I never was going to go to a high enough level to consider it seriously and, and, and was already behind the ball when I had thought about potentially doing things like that. And James, I feel like it's the same type of thing where, you know, he did fight at a high level. He's fighting in the UFC competitively. He had had some wins. He was probably never going to fight for a title, but his IQ was there. He knows how to find openings. A lot of things are chess matches. You could hear him in the last Brandon Moreno fight on what he was calling out, what he was doing. Um, amazing, amazing guidance. That's why, you know, Brandon was able to do what he was against, um, I guess it wasn't Figgy, it was Kaikar France. And um, I don't blame him. You know, if I have an IQ, I'm going to take advantage of it. There's no rules against it. Why not, right? Um, maybe there was some moral things. I don't know the, the full detail of it. Point being, I'm Team Kraus. I think this is out of control. The UFC is going to slander James Kraus anyway. They can't get away with it scotch free. They don't want it to affect the UFC business, the money they are bringing in from DraftKings and other places, um, from the sports books. 
and that's just the way uh, you know the, the 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 puzzle pieces fall. Um, but I feel for Krause. I mean, that's brutal. He had you know done everything himself. He created his own businesses. He had found a way. He's he's trying to grind. It's the American way, trying to find a way to to make it through this world and make some money and and have a life that he 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 envisioned. And uh, now it is all completely gone. Um, and he will probably even if he doesn't have to serve time or have some major impl implications from this won't be able to sports bet won't be able to coach won't be able to do any of that so so what what does he do now so brutal uh the game can be tough and I, I hate to see those things happen no warnings no things it's just boom this is what it is and uh yeah that's what it is so um, Alex Morano is subbed in versus Robbie Lawler versus Santiago Ponzanibio. I know Brian Barberena after his loss, which we'll break down later, it said I didn't take a lot of damage. I'm down for it. I would have loved to see that fight, but uh, Morano's a gamer. Tough to take a Ponzanibio on short notice. Just as tough for Ponzanibio to take a new opponent short notice. Uh, but that should be a scrap, and we'll break that down later. Outside of the UFC, we have Mighty Mouse Trilogy against Adriano Marias. If you're not familiar with this one championship uh, battle, Mighty Mouse got traded to one championship, fought Adrian Marias. They don't have the same weigh-in guidance. They do a hydration test. And Murano looks like he walks around 30 pounds more than Mighty Mouse, let alone in the cage during that fight. 20 to 30 pounds bigger. Marias found a way to, to beat up uh, Mighty Mouse including some of the different rules like kneeing um, an opponent while they're down and he was able to get the victory well mighty mouse had came back recently earlier this year around summertime i believe and beat the shit out of adriana marias and a mighty mouse lover i am it was great to see him do work and now um, they're living off the mighty mouse name trying to grow their brand they will have the trilogy bout next summer may 5th in denver for their first ufc or their usa about their USA debut because uh, they're usually overseas, Japan, places like that. Um, so great things for one championship. I'll be tuning in regardless. Love to see Mighty Mouse in the octagon. He is super, super high level. And not to take away from Adrian Marias, he's a great opponent. He is still tough. Uh, I don't think he has the skill level. He is just a lot bigger dude. Bellator 289 this weekend. Um, I think it's Friday. Let me double check here. Bellator will be on different days. UFC is always Saturday. Yeah, they don't want to compete with the UFC. So 289 on Friday. Some pretty solid fights. Uh, the fight that I probably care about the most is watching Pat Downey, Kai Kamaka fighting on the prelims. Ex-UFC guys. I always like to follow them. Um, and uh, they're on the prelims. But the main card has some high-level fights. You have Dalton Rosa, who's undefeated at 7-0, taking on Anthony Adams. And the bout that I probably, you know, would like to watch is Patchy Mix, who's 16-1, taking on Mike Magomed, Magomedov, who's 19-2. That should be a high-level bout, UFC-like high-level bout. And ex-UFC, Liz Carmouche taking on Juliana Velasquez in a rematch uh, that happened not that long ago. And then um, Rafun Stats, 18-1, taking on Danny Sabatello, 13-1, should be a solid fight as well. So you're just itching for some fights Friday night, prepping for Saturday. Uh, you, you, you're going to have that action. So last weekend we had the fight night in Orlando, no Apex action, and I loved it. Sold, you know, I'm assuming sold out, jam packed uh, house, gr great energy, 
And uh, just an interesting card. And what I mean by interesting is I went five and six on my picks. First time under 500, uh, I believe, since I've started the podcast. But yeah, there was just a lot of chaos. Nice wins by Yasmin Jarugi and Dana White Contender Series alum Francis Marshall. We didn't break those fights down, but those were some good fights, good performances, especially Francis Marshall. I liked what I saw from him on the Dana White Contender Series. Good to see him get that win. And before the bout, Tracy Cortez versus Amanda Ribas was called off right after the weigh-ins due to a Cortez medical issue that has not been disclosed. Uh, they you know, showed them taking photos uh, uh, cage side during the fights. Seems like they are you know, chill, potentially still have the fight depending on the seriousness of Cortez's issue. But it sucks to put all that time in. Looked like she's in the best shape of her life. Biggest bout of her life uh, that happens. And, uh, you know, time frame to be determined that could really, you know, put, put a wrench in where her career trajectory was. Really was stoked for that fight. But in the prelims, we had Jonathan Pierce with a unanimous decision over Darren Elkins. Uh, this was a fight I did get right. One of the more predictable fights. And it really played out the way you would expect. It was Darren the Damage Elkins. Taking damage, getting bloodied, getting blistered, and continually to move forward, continue to fight, and continue to take some CTE. Um, JSP is the younger, faster, crisper, more technical striker. Darren has just been a gamer brawler. Like, he is a guy that you would see at a barbecue, someone trying to start a fight, and would beat the shit out of somebody. But he's never had that high-level ability, in my, in my opinion. In the UFC, when it comes to striking and things of that nature, he can grapple. He can do a little bit of everything. He's well-rounded. But JSP is on his way up, and he proved that just basically cruising through Darren could not get the finish. That is not an easy thing to do, finishing Darren Elkins. But um, Jonathan Pierce came out. You know, uh, Elkins has a lot of loopy shots, a lot of front kicks, had some success with those early. In the third round, they actually stopped the fight due to Elkins' cut because he was bleeding so bad and it was a pretty nasty cut. And then they didn't start it back with Elkins on the ground. Um, he was down on the ground, they had stopped the fight. They started it back up on the feet. So that was an interesting situation you don't see very often. They, you know, they potentially could have gave Elkins a chance, but JSP continued to mow down the damage Elkins. Statistically, Darren landed 67 total and 57 significant strikes. He had two takedowns in five attempts compared to Jonathan's 154 total and 110 significant strikes. He had two takedowns himself, although in seven attempts. So a lot of, you know, grappling, kind of leaning on people just to keep the, you know, the, the grappling option open. Um, and he had a reversal as well. So Darren starts a new losing streak. He is one and one in 2022. Jonathan extends his winning streak to five. He is an impressive six and one in the UFC since 2019. And he enters the rankings at number 15. Congrats, golf claps. Mr. JSP entering the rankings. That's a huge deal and a very tough division. Um, what's next for these guys? I hope Elkins doesn't fight in the Uf UFC anymore. I've just seen him take too much damage, as his nickname says. Um, you know, I, you, you, when you think about somebody with the knowledge of CT concussions and all those things, it's just... Um, you know, I, I, I am afraid for his future. If he does fight, how about Sean Woodson? I think that'd be a great matchup. And for Jonathan Pierce, how about Nate the Train, Landaweer? That would be must-see TV. Two hype trains going at it. Make it happen. 
Moving on, this is where things got interesting. A lot of these were younger fighters, you know, potentially in their prime or prospects that had a lot of hype against an older veteran who's been there, done that, had success, but you just are wondering when their decline will start. Well, Michael Johnson proved the haters wrong with a unanimous decision uh, over Mark DeCasey. And, you know, Mark DeCasey is someone that I've watched early on in the UFC career, and I've just loved his athleticism, his potential, his unorthodox fighting style. Um, you know, he suffered some losses once his hype train was going. He is he had gone back to wrestling and, uh, you know, used that to, to leverage some wins. Just, you know, find a way, grind him out, get some top control, point him out, and get decision victories. So, Michael Johnson's a brawler. He'll throw some smoke. He'll come at you. He's quick. He's tough. He's durable. And I thought Mark would definitely, you know, be the faster striker. Uh, but I figured he would try to go to his wrestling, try to mix it up. And I think he would just be... You know, basically too young, durable, and quick for, for Michael Johnson, who's had some ups, ups and downs recently, and that was not the case at all. I thought, like, the Casey's, you know, taunting uh, Michael, talking shit, that fueled his fire for sure, but he never had any volume. He didn't bring the volume. He didn't bring the action. I don't know what the fuck he was thinking like he was winning any rounds. Um, you know, it was unanimous decision. Debatably, Michael had won every uh, round 10-9, and... He just didn't seem like he had the energy to want to get the victory. He didn't seem like he had the awareness of the situation. You know, I don't know what his corner was telling him, if his corner was aware of that. But it looked like, you know, at the end, he acted like he was a winner and everything was dandy. It's like, no, dude, you, you, you got outpointed, outstruck, outclassed this entire fight. And he was throwing crazy energy-wasting moves and, and just trying to put on a, a, a show. I don't, I, you know, I enjoy that when you're fucking someone up, but... When you're behind in the scorecards and you're getting out class, that's it's not the time and the place. So I was just confused the whole fight. I did not expect to see that. And I think the Casey's going to have um, some brutal film sessions and some honest come to Jesus moments about where he goes from here. Cause this is not a good loss on his record. And um, I love Michael. He's had a great career, but this is going to uh, definitely put a road uh, roadblock in the Casey's climb to the top. It makes me wonder how much he wants it. I mean, that I, you know, I don't know the guy. I don't have a, a fucking clue what his goals and ambitions are. Uh, I, I've enjoyed him as a fighter. I'm probably a bigger fan than a lot of people. But it's just like, come on, man. Like, where, where's your head at? Um, Mark did try some wrestling. You know, uh, I don't think he ever sold out on it. It was like kind of an attempt like, ah, Michael's got some good defense. I don't want to empty the, the, the gas tank on this because it wasn't working. And again, he just wasn't as aggressive as I expected. He was doing a lot of big energy movements that were just for show, and I feel like can tire you out. And uh, he definitely looked like the bigger fighter than Michael Johnson. Um, but every time he was winding up for something, Johnson was cutting the cage off, cutting him off, wouldn't let him have those big, powerful shots. Um, DeCasey did have some good calf kicks early as well. And he, he didn't keep going to them. He didn't follow up after round one. I felt like he had Michael's front leg chopped off a lot, which is going to help take away a lot of those strikes and power shots. And, and he wasn't following up. So again, the game plan just didn't make a, a lot of sense for somebody like me. Um, you know, if, if I'm trying to put myself in his shoes. Statistically, though, um, Michael Johnson landed 83 total and significant strikes while going 0 for 3 in takedowns. But this is a great performance. Uh, uh, this guy is not going anywhere. You know, he is older. He has had a decline. He has been up and down. But he's still fun to watch. Michael Johnson's on the fucking card. Your boy's tuning in. And you should too. 
Uh, DeCasey only landed 55 total insignificant strikes. He was 0 for 6 in takedown attempts. Again, a guy like DeCasey, I don't care what the fight situation is. If you would have told me Mark DeCasey has 55 total strikes, I'm assuming he had been, you know, wrestled and, and held down almost the whole fight, and nobody was on the ground. They were standing the whole time. That's just not going to get the job done. Um, Michael starts a new winning streak. He is 2-1 in 2022, so uh, what, what a good year for the veteran. And the loss that he had was a very close split decision loss. Mark, meanwhile, has his two-fight winning streak come to an end. He is also 2-1 and one this year, so both fighters very active uh, moving into 2023. So what's next? Well, I think a banger would be Michael Johnson versus Matt Frivola, who had just, um, I believe, got a perform. No, he didn't get a bonus, but just had a great performance, a great finish. And I think Mark could try to get back on track versus Fariz Ziam, both fun stylistically and uh, must-see TV, if you ask me. Hopefully, uh, Casey will throw more than 55 total strikes in a three-round affair. And you don't get any more veteran than this man, Clay Guida, with a split decision over Scott's Hol Scott Holtzman. This is another fight I did get wrong. I didn't put it on a parlay. I felt like it was a very 50-50 fight. And Clay is the same Clay Clay has always been. He's a carpenter. He's coming at you with volume. He's coming at you. Uh, cutting the cage off. He's looking to get his grappling going. And Scott can ne never really open up. Um, you know, he is more of a bigger, you know, bigger shot striker. He's not killing you with the jab. He's looking to get some big combos going in. He does have a little bit of a windup. And uh, Clay wasn't having it. I mean, he was relentless the whole fight. The, the stats will definitely take the, uh, you know, tell the story. But um, after the fight, Scott did leave the gloves in the octagon. He is retiring. Either way, still an amazing career. It is a shame he only fought in the UFC for so long. And um, one other thing was Scott had a ton of fence grabs when he was trying to defend the Clay Guida takedowns. You know, I'm just c calling this out just like the, uh, the mess up on not letting up or letting up um, Darren Elkins when it, they should have reset on the ground. Um, I thought that should have been a point deduction. That wasn't. So some, some bad um, officiating in, in this, this card early. But yeah, the stats. So Clay landed 95 total and 66 significant strikes while going four for 15 in takedown attempts. So again, relentless. He's not getting them. He's still going for it. Only got four for 15, but they made a difference. And Scott landed 77 total and 65 significant strikes. To put it in perspective, Scott Holtzman is almost 40 years old. Uh, DeCasey is barely 30 if. And he landed 77 total strikes while getting taken down four times and held a lot. Uh, DeCasey only had 55, so this kind of puts that in perspective. Now, Clay starts a new winning streak at almost 41 years old, December 8th tomorrow. Manana, he's 41. He was 1-1 one one in 2022. Scott finishes his career on a three-fight losing streak. Either way, great career. Um, you know, uh, somebody that uh, was just a gamer as well, a guy that's, you know, blue-collar, a guy that you can root for. So obviously no fights next for Scott Holt Holtzman. But what's going on with the 41-year-old Carpenter? I think a fun one would be Clay versus Drakkar Close once he comes back from knee injury. Make that shit happen. A good wrestler, a good striker. It'll be fun to see how he can hang with the old dog. And then another vet proving me wrong, and I've been riding the Angela Hill train of late. 
Uh, but the way Emily Ducate looked against Penne, I thought she would just do the same thing. And that was not the case as Angela Hill had a unanimous decision over Emily Ducate. And it was much like Clay Guida on the, the women's side. It was straight volume. She was in Emily's face the whole time with jabs, combinations, kicks, um, looking to um, you know put the fight anywhere and everywhere. And Emily, she didn't have to wrestle, which was funny. Emily actually tried to wrestle Angela, which was weird because she had no success while standing. She was stonewalled. Every time she was thinking about doing something, you know, she's taken three or four shots by the time she thought about her next move. And um, obviously the wrestling did not go well for Ducate. So um, definitely, probably, you know, even though Emily Ducate hasn't fought much in the UFC, one of the biggest, I did not see this fight turning out that way. Let's just say that. And when we talk about volume, Angela Hill landed 190 total, 182 significant of uh, strikes, all but eight significant and 190 strikes. Golly! Compared to Emily's 76 total and 71 significant, and Emily was 0 for 2 in takedown attempts. So the um, amazing Angela Hill, who doesn't get enough love, Extends her winning streak to two. She is two and one in 2022. She stays at number 12 in the rankings. Again, she's basically the gatekeeper for all the young talent at this point. But she's, you know, she's holding that gate strong. Uh, Emily has her four-fight winning streak come to an end. She is one and one in the UFC, and she drops down one spot to number 14 in the rankings. I was kind of surprised she stayed in the rankings, but there's just not a lot of depth, so I guess that must that must be the case. But what's next for these women? If Cortez can't come back, you know, until we really know what's going on, we have no idea of time frame. I think uh, Angela Hill versus Amanda Ribas, Ribas would be must-see. If not, the newly ranked Poliana Viana, who is definitely a fan favorite, that would be great. Again, the young talent against the gatekeeper. And for Ducate, I could see her versus Lupita Godinez. That would be a great strap. Two, uh, two young women... On their way up, great striking, toughness. Let's make it happen. Moving on, we had Phil Rowe with a third-round TKO over Nico Price. And much like the DeCasey fight, I mean, I'm not as big of a Phil Rowe fan as DeCasey, but I thought Phil Rowe would embarrass Nico Price. Supposedly, Nico's having you know knee issues or... He's coming in with an injured knee. I thought with his length, his power, his speed, he would piece up Nico. And much like the Casey, he's clowning him. He's doing push-ups in between rounds. You know, uh, he's not showing out. And almost getting finished by Price himself, I believe it was late in the second round. He was playing with his food, and his food almost got him. He ended up getting the third-round TKO. Maybe a little bit of a controversial finish. I'm happy with the finish. Um, but I, you know, Phil, if I'm Phil, I'm trying to, to make this a highlight and I'm trying to make this a staple win on my resume to move up. And he's just fucking around with it. You know, um, it's like waiting to do your final and study for your final the night before the final. I just expected more, but that's just me. But he got the third round TK over a very tough, uh, a tenured Nico price. Statistically, Nico landed a lot more volume. Uh, you know, another thing that's shocking, but he had 150 total and 110 significant strikes. 
much like Angela Hill, a high volume of significant strikes. Were all of them really significant? I mean, how do we score those? It's tough to say. Um, and then he was 0 for 2 in takedowns. Phil landed 64 total, 63 of those significant. And he had two submission attempts and two takedowns. He was 2 for 2 in his attempts. Phil now is on a, uh, extends his winning streak to 3. He's 2-0 and this year. And for Nico, he starts a new losing streak. He is 1-2 and since 2021. Tough, you know, couple years for Mr. Price. So what's next for these guys? I mean, for Phil, give me Gunnar Nelson, Max Griffin. Step it up a little bit. Hopefully he won't be playing with his food. And for Nico, Tony Ferguson, I, I think that's a, the ideal fight. Uh, both guys, you know, on a downward trajectory, a winnable fight for Tony. I think that'd be great for fight fans, get his momentum back. If not, if that's not a big enough name for Mr. El Kukui, give him Danny Roberts, Nico Price, Danny Roberts. That, that'll, that'll do but moving on to the main card, I mean, that's a pretty stacked prelim card. Seeing Angela Hill, Clay Guida, Scott Holtzman, DeCasey Johnson, Elkins, lots of legends that have been around for a long time. Well, then Eric Anders, a second round TKO over Kyle Dacus. And this fight really was a toss up for me. I don't think I've seen Eric look this good in a while, though. He was not going to take, you know, this is fighting. You have to honestly think you're going to beat the shit out of somebody or they or or you're going to get the shit beat out of you. And you got to go in there on a mission like you're in fucking war. And I did not see that from Phil Rowe. And I definitely did not see that in Mark DeCasey. Eric Anders came with that smoke. He came. He was not going to let anything deter him. You know, he has been known for coming out with some fucking... He just looks scary. He's fucking ripped. He fucking has an amazing power. And, uh, he, you know, with a, a big muscular guy like that, you can tend to, to empty out the gas tank a little bit and have a, a tough few late rounds. And Kyle Dacus is good everywhere. And I, I thought he was going to weather the storm and, and be able to tire out Eric, and that was not the case. Eric wasn't going to let that be the case. Eric landed 97 total, 49 significant strikes. He had a takedown of his own and a knockdown compared to Kyle's 38 total and 37 significant strikes. He also was 0 for 8 in his own takedown attempts. Great performance by Anders. A statement performance, and I can't wait to see what he does next. He is now on a, or now starts a new winning streak. He is 1 and 1 this year. And Kyle extends his losing streak to 2. 1 and 2 in 2022. Tough year for Mr. Dacus. So what's next? How about your boy, the nickname of Eric, which I love. Your boy versus Armin Petrosian. That would be box office. And for Kyle, I'd like to see him try to get back on track versus a good up-and-coming Dusko Todorovic. Make that shit happen. Moving on. <laughs> the, the, the most craziness of all craziness, we have Roman Delidze. Again, a short notice fill-in with a second-round TKO over Jack Hermanson. And this was a performance of the night. And a calf splicer? I've never seen this in the MMA. I mean, maybe in some jiu-jitsu shit. But to really do it to a high-level opponent like the Joker blew my mind. And you're thinking watching the, the last few Delizzi fights, this is all going to be striking. He's going to look to knock out Jack early, late-notice fight. He's going to come fucking out swinging. And um, it was all about Roman's ground game in this one. And credit a lot to Jack. Uh, Jack was cutting him off. He was circling well. 
and he was putting Roman in positions where he couldn't really find those power strikes. So he, he, he looked to get it to the ground. Uh, he was successful in doing so. And it was submission attempt after submission attempt. He was smooth with it. The transitions were beautiful. And then he somehow gets Jack in a calf, calf slicer, which basically Jack is stuck like a crucifix type position. And he's just wailing on him, gets a TKO finish that the, the refs call it. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? Uh, but it looked like it could be painful. I've never been put in that position. I don't know a lot about it. It was some wild shit. And again, credit to Delidzi because he is showing how well-rounded he is. And now he gets a, 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 a great number next to his name um, to prove it. And he has really come on the scene. Statistically, Jack landed 48 total and 47 significant strikes. He had two takedowns himself in three attempts. Roman landed 39 total and 25 significant strikes with three submission attempts. He was able to get reversals off those takedowns, uh, uh, win a lot of 50-50 positions, and end up in the infamous viral calf slicer. That's what Daniel Cormier called it. That's what I'll call it. I, I don't know what the fuck it should be called, but um, some wild leg lock type shit. So Roman now extends his winning streak to four. He's 3-0 in 2022. And he enters the top 15. He steals Jack's number. He is now number eight. He is the Ocho. Jack starts a new losing streak. He has one and two in 2022. Pretty tough year for him. He moves down one spot to number nine. So doesn't get a lot of repercussions, which is huge for an, uh, a loss to a non-ranked fighter, let alone a finish. But now I'm like, okay, where does Roman go from here? Well, how about Brendan Allen or Andre Muniz? I think either of those would be amazing fights. And for Jack, he's probably going to have to let the division shake out a little bit. Uh, but maybe the loser of Amavov and Gastelum, that could be one. Um, either way, I'm excited to see where these guys go next. And talk about excitement. Um, I, I feel like, you know, now post this Orlando bout, people are talking about it more. But this guy for heavyweight has the full fucking package. But I didn't think he could, you know, clang and bang like this. Sergey Pavlovich with a first round TKO over Bam Bam tied to Avasa. Performance of the night. Put some money in the bank. It only took under a minute of Sergey beating Ty at his own game. He said, you want to fucking throw? You want to bang? I will walk through your punches, throw some serious fucking smoke, and put you out. It only took 23 total and significant strikes. He had two knockdowns, and Ty only landed two total and significant strikes. Shit was wild. I mean, I know this guy can grapple. I know he's in great shape. I know he can do things a lot of heavyweights can. I didn't think he had smoke like that against a guy who took, I don't remember, I think it was five rounds with, with Cyril Gaon, a main event. Five rounds of damage from Cyril Gaon. Cannot take less than a minute from Sergey Pavlovich. I mean, Sergey is on a five-fight winning streak. He is 3-0 this year, 5-1 and in the UFC. He moves up two spots in the rankings. He is number three, and Ty is now on a two-fight losing streak after that impressive five-fight winning streak, and he moves down one spot to number five in the rankings. So, well, John Jones supposedly in Ganu in March. If Nganu's not healthy, supposedly Curtis Blades. So we still have Cyril Gan in the shadows. Give me Cyril Gan. Give me Sergey Pavlovich. That would be insane. 
and the winner of that is going to hold the fort down in heavyweight for a long time. I do hope it's Nganu. I do hope it's John Jones. I think John wins that fight. I don't know if he can hold these guys down. You know, John's getting older. You know, how many fights left does he have? We're unsure. And how does he look at heavyweight? He's unsure. I, I do think John could hold the fort down a little bit, but these guys are the future. They're young. They're fucking well-rounded, powerful, quick. They're the full package. And those styles together is going to be wild. And for Ty, give me Alexander Volkov. Get him the veteran. Get him a, a, a fighter that, that would, you know, deliver. It's a main event potential. And uh, Volkov ha will have an opportunity to move back up to where he once belonged. Sergey Pavlovich, ladies and gentlemen. God damn. Then we go from that to the flyweights. We go from heavyweight to 125. But this guy doesn't look like 125. The power in his hands, Matheus Nicolau with a second round TKO over Matt Schnell. Uh, finally, a fight I did get right. Him and Sergey. Thank you very much. I just, you know, Matheus is a, is a counter striker. I thought he was so calculated in his strikes, but when he threw or countered and it landed, it landed hard. Schnell is talented. I like him as a fighter. He landed a lot of shots, but no, not a lot of guys' shots hit with that kind of uh, force that Nicolau does. I love his post-fight fucking celebration, put the sword in. He is a fucking problem, and I can't wait to see him get stiffer and stiffer competition in the flyweight division, but this was a pretty easy fight for Nicolau. Um, he landed 40 total and 32 significant strikes. He had two knockdowns. Props to Schnell for the first knockdown getting back up and going because he got fucked up. Um, and he had a takedown compared to Schnell's 29 total and 20 significant strikes. So Matthäus extends his oppressive winning streak to six. He is seven and one in the UFC. He finishes 2022 two and zero, and he moves up one spot to number five. Matt starts a new losing streak. He is one and two in 2022. He stays at number seven. So where does Matthäus go from here? Give me Rod Dog, Brandon Royval. That's the fight to make. While well, Matt could fight the veteran Tim Elliott. I like this flyweight division. The flyweight division doesn't get a lot of clout. I was glad it was this high up on the main card. Uh, Matthäus is a problem. Schnell is still a high-level fighter. Schnell, Elliott, Royval, Matthäus. Give the flyweight some love. Then the co-main. Uh, short notice fill-in. We had... Rafael Dos Anjos with a second round submission via rear naked choke over Brian Barberena. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, obviously RDA has been, you know, he's an ex-champion. He's fought anyone. He's done everything. He's the full fucking package as a fighter. Brian Barberena fights one way. He likes to fucking strike. He likes to grind on you. He likes to outlast you. He said, I am more durable than you. Let's fucking go. Let's see who's standing at the end of it. Well, RDA knows that. So in my mind, I'm like, RDA might fuck around and try to clang, but he's probably going to wrestle. But the thought of them striking, it's just like what Robbie Lawler and Brian Barbarino was, except RDA is a little better right now. Quite a bit better. Well, RDA wasn't having that. He said, I'm going to get this win. Short notice. I ain't fucking with Brian Barbarino. I'm taking his ass down. I'm getting his fucking neck, and I'm moving on with my life. I'm going to call out Conor McGregor. I'm going to look to get paid, and I'm going to keep on trucking. And that's exactly what happened. 
Um, RDA landed 36 total and 20 significant strikes. He had four takedowns and six attempts. And he had two submission attempts compared to Brian's 61 total strikes and 14 significant. So RDA starts a new winning streak. He is 2-1 in 2022, while Brian has his three-fight winning streak come to an end. So what's next? Give me RDA and Michael fucking Chandler. Bonkers. Wrestler, wrestler, striker, striker, fan favorite, fan favorite. Been there, been there. Box office, grab your fucking popcorn. And Brian called for the short notice fight against Ponzinibbio. That didn't happen. But if if there's a fight to make, give him a veteran. Give him Tim Means. That'll be must-see. Those guys will clang and bang, and the fans will rejoice. Then some people are saying fight of the year. Some people are saying the best fight they've ever seen. Well, we got Wonderboy Stephen Thompson with no Jack Black, but he came out to Wonderboy and he got the fourth round TKO over Big Mouth Kevin Holland. And uh, this was Kevin Holland being a fan favorite. This was Kevin Holland saying, I am going to try to beat Stephen Thompson at his game. I'm going to try to outkickbox him. I will not take him down. I will not grapple him. We'll keep this going. I filled in short notice. Let's fucking, well, it wasn't short notice. He said, I picked this fight to do it. Let's go. Let's fucking go. I'll beat you at your own game. Well, Holland shattered his left hand. Supposedly a lot earlier than we thought. Supposedly Stephen Wonderboy broke his left hand as well, or right hand. But I could tell in the third round, you know, basically Kevin was holding his arm like this. He wasn't throwing it. He was just doing this kind of thing, like pretending he's doing something. I knew his hand was fucked. But he also was fucking taking some, like, liver body shots that was shutting him down. Kevin Holland is a tough motherfucker. I appreciate you doing this. You're amazing. But in the terms of your career, you know, the guy who was retired got paid for this fight. It's not a good move. Like his corner said, enough of the fucking ego. Make this an MMA fight. Take him down because he had opportunities where he had taken him down. He could have kept on Wonder Boy and probably found a path to victory. When it comes to an MMA fight, I'm taking Kevin Holland. You going to tell me a kickboxing fight? I don't know many motherfuckers that are beating Wonder Boy. Even at the age that he's at, he showed. And he said, I wanted to show people. People said I'm too old. Then I'm still fucking Wonder Boy. I never doubted you, bruh. I think you can kickbox like a motherfucker with the best of the best in this weight class, the karate style. But my takeaways were, you know, I, I, I'm starting to jujitsu, right? I got my white belt. I'm trying to learn better. I definitely have noticed watching the fights or just watching things or thinking about things differently. Because when I'm drilling in jujitsu, being in... Um, uh, half guard on my side. Okay, how do I get out of there? Well, doing it yourself, you know, you're, you're thinking about the chess moves from the basic level that I'm at. It, it transitions into watching your MMA and seeing what their, their thoughts are. But my takeaway, you know, I'm not a boxing clinic person. I don't know the, the best way to do everything. I did do karate for a long time. Um, I feel like I know how to throw a punch. Do I have the most powerful punch? Probably not. I don't throw punches. I, I'd like to do cardio kickboxing, get me in shape, work on my striking a little bit just so I know a little bit more. But Steven Wonderboy's shots, there is no wind-up, there's no load-up, they're as straight as ever, and they are fast. Even Kevin Holland said, golly, he is fast. What did you think? He's faster than I thought. Wonderboy's striking is fucking clean. When Kevin Holland throws, it's wide. It's like Poirier versus Chandler. Poirier's fucking boom. Every time he threw it was hitting Chandler. Chandler's coming out. And even Poirier said on the MMA hour, if Chandler was throwing straight shots, he probably could have finished me. That's the biggest difference. You see the class 
the differences of the highest of the high. And Steven Wonderboy is textbook. That's why people go to his gym. That's why he is the fucking man. Terrible game plan by Kevin Holland, but goddamn, I love Kevin Holland. And thanks for the performance. But this is not fight of the year. Everyone wants to say fight of the year because their adrenaline shot up. Their dicks are fucking hard. And they're like, whoa, that was fight of the year. No, 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 no. Glover Teixeira, Yuri Prashaka. Come on now. I'll take that above it. We just had Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier. I would take that above that as well. Why? Because I knew what was going on. They're fucking high-fiving. It wasn't a war. It wasn't for a title aspiration. Um, as a fan, I wanted Wonderboy to win so he could continue his, you know, a longer UFC career and not have to be... You take a loss here, three losses in a row. You take another one, you might be on your way out. Um, I, I bet on Kevin Holland. I did not think he would try to straight kickbox the whole fucking time. But they're high-fiving. You know, it's respectful. It was fun. It was cool. Not fight of the year. Keep that shit out your mouth. But thanks for the show. I enjoyed it. Statistically, Steven landed 178 total and 163 significant strikes compared to Kevin's 123 total and 119 significant strikes. High volume. Kevin did have two takedowns and six attempts. Again, if he wanted to make this an MMA fight, he probably would have had a not an easy path to victory, but would have been a lot better than his hit. I mean, those liver shots, man, I could not believe he continued to fight. I'm glad the corner called it after the fourth round. Much due respect for him, or he might have called it because his body is fucked up. If he would have fought one more round, he might have been out of the octagon on a stretcher. So now Wonderboy starts a new winning streak. It's got to feel good. He stays at number six. Kevin extends his losing streak to two. Now, Holland's fucked up. He is not going to be fighting anytime soon as much as he loves to fight all the time. You know, there's potential that he'll retire again and potentially gets paid more. I'm not too sure. Maybe he got a contract here. Nobody really knows. He's going to be out for some time. There's a lot of uh, fights booked in this division. I'd like to see him run at Daniel Rodriguez, get the D-Rod fight like he was supposed to already. And for Wonderboy, let's just give him another striker. Give me Wonderboy. Give me Jorge Masvidal too. Because we need that in our lives. We already have a stacked year next year. That fight would be fucking bonkers. Good fun Orlando card for y'all in Orlando. I'm jealous. I'd love to be at every fight card. The energy in there, the veterans. You know, I've only been to a couple of UFC bouts, but when you see these veterans, it's fucking awesome to know. And when you've grown up watching them your whole lives, I got to see Robbie Lawler, Brian Barbarena. I got to see Amanda Nunez lose. I got to see... John Jones, I got to see the Masvidal knockout of Ben Askren, fastest knockout. Like, those moments for real fight fans, it gives me goosebumps. That's the shit that you love to see. And I love when the arena show out. Orlando showed out from what I could see on ESPN. Vegas is going to show out. You know why? Because my only bouts have been in Vegas at T-Mobile, and the energy in there gets me hard as hell. Um, UFC 282, the prelims are on ESPN2, so we're getting primetime television, even though it's the midst of football season. That's a 5 p.m. Pacific uh, prelim start. But we're going to start in the early prelims. Why? Because this fucking savage, Venetius Phenomeno Salvador, 26 years old, with a 14-4 and record, taking on Daniel Miojo da Silva, the 26-year-old fighter with an 11-4 and record. We get some young guns to kick off the early prelims. Most people won't be watching. But when I watched Phenomeno 
Venetia Salvador in the Dana White Contender Series. Saw him in action. You see fighters like this the first time, and he said, this is a guy I'm going to watch. This is a guy, I'm following his career. He has the it factor. And if he puts it all together, he stays disciplined. He stays determined. He is going to do amazing things. I think he has the potential to be a future champion in the flyweight division. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, it's early. I, I don't have it on record, but I said the same shit because I was young. There wasn't even such thing as podcasts then. But I remember the first fight I watched John Jones, I said he's going to be a champion in the next few years. He did it in like a year, right? He had that, that fast turnaround, blew my mind. That might be an easier one to predict. I remember watching the ultimate fighter, Rose Namajunas, still one of my favorite fighters, said she is going to be the champion. She's been the champion over and over. She's going to get that strap back. Venetia Salvador, tune the fuck in. This guy has it. He is on a four-fight winning streak. 13 of his 14 wins are via knockout. Two of his four losses are also via knockout. Uh, he was a little reckless in the contender series fight. I'm sure those losses, he was a little reckless. Uh, he is a jungle fight alum. Daniel, he is on a three-fight losing streak since making his UFC debut. Six of his 11 wins are via submission. Five via knockout but 11 of his 11 wins via finish. Again, Salvador, he's got that fun, unorthodox style. It's not karate. It's not Muay Thai. It's Venetia Salvador style, right? You know what I'm talking about? The Sugar, Sugar Sean O'Malley shit. And he is so high volume. I expect an early finish. I expect him to kick off his UFC career in amazing fashion. If you're going to this card, get your ass in that seat. You will regret it if you don't. When you look back at it three, four years later, and Venetius Salvador is the champion. I'm taking Venetius on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. And if I haven't looked at it, if there's a good bout, good pick for early round knockout, which there probably won't be because I'm sure Vegas knows this guy's the, the real deal, I'm putting some bread there too. And the fact that this is in the early prelims is pretty wild, but we get Billy Quarantillo. 33 years old with a 16-4 and four record, taking on Alexander the Great Ape Hernandez. 30-year-old fighter with a 13-5 and five record. And again, a good scrap between two guys in their primes. I think this is going to be fun as both men really need to get a win here to get their careers where they feel like they deserve to be on the path that they want to be. Is that me making an assumption? Absolutely. But I know Billy and Alexander, they're fucking gamers. They're in their primes. You got to win here. You don't want to take another loss and rebuild. Billy has a black belt in BJJ. He is an ultimate fighter, Dana White contender series, and king of the cage, former champion, but alum of all of them. He is on a one fight losing streak and hasn't fought since 2022 or hasn't fought this year in 2022. I'm assuming he's working on his craft. Seven of his 16 wins are via knockout, five via submission. So 12 of his 16 wins are via knockout. Alexander trains out of Factory X. He has a black belt in BJJ. He is on a one-fight losing streak, which was his only fight in 2022. Six of his 13 wins are via knockout. He is an LFA and RFA alum. Billy's got a nice fucking jab. He likes to push the pace. He likes to overwhelm you with volume. I had to watch some fights back to really get a good prediction here because this is a tough fight, you know, a lot of the times I see this immediately, I just want to say, Billy, I needed some proof. I needed to watch some film. I needed to do it. I got the MMA podcast. I have reason to do that now. Your boy's got fight pass. But when I watched Billy against Burgos, which was his last fight in 2021, he hasn't fought since. 
That fight broke the record for most significant strikes in featherweight division history. When I say high volume, this, this is going to be high volume. Hernandez is a little bit different. He's got really long, powerful, explosive shots. It's just straight athleticism. I think this fight's going to be a banger. And unless Alexander can find a way to get a finish early with that explosiveness, I don't think he's going to, he's going to get a finish. I see Billy with the decision victory here. He is going to overwhelm him. He's more experienced. I'm putting Billy on that parlay. It's a little risky, but fuck it. We marking that shit down, and we getting that red. Moving on into the prelims. No more the early prelims. We get Chris Action Man Curtis, 35 years old, with a 29-9 and record and the number 14 next to his name, taking on Joaquin New Monza Buckley, 28 years old, with a 15-5 and record. Now, this is an interesting fight because both men are in different stages in their careers. Both are fun strikers, so I think this will make for a great stylistic matchup. And you're going to need to tune in. Buckley's fighting. Uh, you're tuning in anyways. Chris, he trains out of Extreme Couture. He is a purple belt in BJJ. He has been in and out of the UFC. He has bounced from middleweight to welterweight. He's done everything. He's had one hell of a career. He is a Dana White Contender Series and PFL alum. He is on a one-fight losing streak and is 3-1 and one in the UFC in his return. 16 of his 29 wins are via knockout, and he was the 2021 Comeback Fighter of the Year. Now, um, Buckley is on a one-fight losing streak. Four of his last seven fights have been performance of the night. Again, he's fighting or tuning in. 11 of his 15 wins are via knockout. Three of his five losses are also via knockout. He is an LFA and Bellator alum. He had the 2020 Knockout of the Year against Impa Kinsage, and... I've definitely been wrong about Action Man before. I've bet against him. He's fucking knocked my guys out, Phil Haas and somebody else. But Bus Buckley has really impressed me every different every fight he's had. He's drastically improved. He was a, a wild striker. He's really uh, tightened up his game, and he's talented. Uh, he's fought very talented people like Nasser Dinamavov, and I, I think that's only going to benefit him. Chris has been there. He is like the journeyman. I just don't see how Chris is going to be able to get him, get the win here unless he does what Jack Hermanson did to him. Circle, outpoint him, find a way to victory. But Buckley's not going to let him do that because Buckley brings the fight uh, uh, to wherever you're at. So I'm taking Buckley. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on, we have Edmund the Golden Boy Shabazian. 25 years old with an 11-3 and record, taking on Dalcha champion Lugenbala, the 11-5 and record, a 35-year-old fighter with an 11-5 and record. You want to talk about fighters at different stages in their career? I mean, this is as crazy, you know, this is as drastic as it gets. Both guys are in the midst of losing streaks. They are in desperate need of a win, although Dalcha is in way more of a desperation mode because he's 35 and Edmund is only 25. Even if Edmund got cut from the UFC, he could come back by the time he's in his prime and make a run. You get my point. Edmund trains out of Extreme Couture. He is a Dana White Contender Series alum. He is on a three-fight losing streak. Again, needs a win. He hasn't won since November of 2019, and he hasn't fought this year in 2022. Again, I'm assuming he's perfecting his craft. He can't afford another loss. Got to go back to the drawing board. 
Nine of his 11 wins are via knockout, and two of his three losses are also via knockout. Dolce has a judo background. He is on a three-fight losing streak. He is 2-4 and four in the UFC. He has bounced from light heavyweight and middleweight, and five of his 11 wins are via knockout. I really do believe Edmund's boxing is going to be the difference here. Without uh, Jack Hermanson grappling and wrestling Edmund, he was piecing him up. And I just feel like he that's why he is in the UFC at such a young age. I think he's going to have to be careful because Dalcha has some serious fucking power, especially early. But I'm taking Edmund. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Raul El Nino Problema Rosas Jr., 18 years old with a pristine 6-0 record, taking on Jay the Joker Perrin, 29 years old with a 10-6 record. Now the stage is set for this 18-year-old's debut against a guy looking for his first UFC win and is in desperation mode. Raul came from Dana White Contender Series. He's you know pretty viral at this point. I'm sure you've heard of him. He had to get his mom's signature to compete in that because he wasn't of age. Um, this kid is well-rounded. You would think 18 years old. This guy's 29. But uh, Rosas is the, the favorite. He's very confident. He's tough. He's durable. I'm excited to see his career. And it starts right here in Vegas this weekend. Raul has four of his six wins via submission. He's very good on the ground. Again, Dana White Contender Series alum, and he's undefeated. Jay is on a two-fight losing streak. He's a Bellator alum. He's been around. Four of his 10 wins are via submission as well. Again, I was just so impressed at the high-level ability of Roll's ground game and how well-rounded he is. I've taken the young blood in this one. He starts his career. It's going to have a lot of eyes on him, but I think he's going to deliver. I'm putting Raul uh, Rosas on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Then we got the big dogs in the prelim headliner, Jarzinho Biggie Boy Rosenstrike, the 34-year-old fighter with a 12-4 and record and the number nine next to his name, versus Chris Dacus, 33 years old with a 12-5 and record and the number 11 next to his name. As always with the big dogs, we should get a banger. And a good way to start, you know, to get ready for the main card. I'm looking forward to this fight. I think it's going to determine the middle of this division. They both lost to the same guys at the top. Now it's time to see who deserves to move up. Jarzinho has a kickboxing background. He trains out of ATT. He was a heavyweight kickboxing champion in three different promotions before the UFC. He was a 2019 Newcomer of the Year. And he had the 2019 Comeback of the Year against Alistair Overeem. He is on a two-fight losing streak. 11 of his 12 wins are via knockout. Two of his four losses are also via knockout. He is a risen alum as well. Chris has a black belt in BJJ. Three of his last five fights have been performance of the night, so he's been showing out. He is a Cage Fury alum. He is on a two-fight losing streak. 11 of his 12 wins are via knockout, and four of his five losses are also via knockout. I definitely think this is going to be a back-and-forth affair. I like the power that Jarzinho possesses a little more. I think he's going to find a way to get a finish. He's been to the top. He needs to go back to the top. The time is now. And for that reason, I'm taking Jarzinho. I'm putting him on my parlay. 
we marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Get a little sippy sip first. Now in the main card, we get Bryce Thug Nasty Mitchell, a 28-year-old fighter with a 15-1 and record and the number nine next to his name. His 15-1 is kind of controversial. The one is from the ultimate fighter without, you know, his, his, his loss to get out of the house. Sometimes they don't consider that. So in my mind, he's technically undefeated. Um, but he's taking on Aliyah El Matador Topiria, 25 years old with a 12-0 record and the number 14 next to his name. Much like the other fight I was talking about, I had to tune into some film here. This is a very 50-50. If you want to throw some money on a dog, throw it on Bryce. I'm not putting this in my parlay. It's that close. It's tough to pick. But Mitchell has just impressed me. I mean, he's fucking... You know, Southern boy doesn't train in a big gym, doesn't, you know, have the same type of team and, and, and routine as everybody else, but he continues to impress. He cruised to a victory over at a very, very good Edson Barboza, which blew my mind. He walked through him. I, you know, Barboza's first time in this weight class, I don't think it really benefited him. His chin has been gone. Bryce hit him with a big shot. That really made the big difference. But Topiria is the full package. He's got power grappling, jiu-jitsu, and Bryce has good jiu-jitsu and grappling as well, but I think Topiria definitely has the power advantage, and when we're talking about loopy shots versus pristine, Topiria's got that technique. I think he's got more technical skill. Topiria's young. He hasn't been challenged. I think he's going to have to go into deeper waters here, but I do think he has more of that textbook ability. Aliyah has a black belt in BJJ. He is a Cage Warriors and Brave FC alum. He is undefeated and 4-0 in the UFC. Seven of his 12 wins are via submission. So, you know, that's how good his ground game is. And only four via knockout. But 11 of his 12 wins via finish. And, you know, all the power he has, he could definitely rack that up. But he usually, you know, takes people down, fucks them up, gets them down, and submits them. Bryce has a black belt in BJJ. He is an ultimate fighter and World Series of Fighting alum. He had the 2019 submission of the year against Matt Sales, the twister. I think he's had two in the UFC. He is on a 15-fight winning streak. He is 6-0 in the UFC. Nine of his 15 wins are via submission, and he does have a three-inch leg reach advantage, which could come into play. I think we'll see some kicks here. Uh, Topiria has got that strong wide stance, chop that leg up. I can see Bryce weathering the storm. I think this could be where Bryce just looks to straight wrestle, where on Topiria, I haven't seen Topiria have to really dig that deep and go far in a fight. So if Bryce could get him there, mix in some leg kicks, mix in some wrestling, I do think there is a chance. But I like Topiria's boxing skills more, the speed and the power on his feet. I think he's just as good on the ground. And for that reason, I'm picking Topiria. I'm not putting him on a parlay. But this is going to be a great start to the main card. And your boy can't wait. Speaking of can't wait, I finally get to see this guy in the octagon again. We get Darren the Gorilla Till, 29 years old with an 18-4-1 record and the number nine next to his name, taking on Drew, Drew Keese, still knocks Duplessis, 28 years old with a 17-2 record and the number 13 next to his name. Now, I, you know, just putting this up, I was shocked. You guys will probably be shocked too, but... As tenured as Till is in the UFC, it's crazy to think he's only 29. 
He'll he'll turn 30 later this month, but he's not even technically in his prime. Drakus is on an impressive run. He definitely has good striking, but I believe Till has more to offer. I don't think he has the power that uh, Plissé does, but I do think he is more well-rounded. Darren has a purple belt in Luda Livre. He was the 2017 Rising Star of the Year. He was a European K1 Muay Thai, tam- Muay Thai champion. He is on a two-fight losing streak. He hasn't won since November of 2019 and hasn't fought this year. Dracus, he is an orthodox fighter. He has a second-degree black belt in kickboxing. He is on a five-fight winning streak. He is 3-0 in the UFC. Nine of his 17 wins are via submission and seven via knockout. So 16 of his 17 fights have been via finish. And Dracus is good, you know, is definitely on his way up. Till is battle-tested. I want to say he's desperate for a win, but he's, you know, somewhat desperate. You know, from where he's been, he was a, a rising star. He is just entering his prime. He's been training with Kamzat. I think that's only going to help. I'm surprised he's the underdog here. I'm putting money on the underdog. I'm putting him on my parlay. We market that ish down, and we get in that bread. Let the dogs come to eat. <laughs> Moving on. We got Santiago, the Argentine dagger, Ponzanibio, 36 years old with a 28-6 and six record, taking on Alex, the great white Murano, 32 years old with a 22-7 and seven record. And for a short-notice short fight, this should be a good one. Murano is on a roll. He is ready for stiffer competition, especially when the opponent hasn't prepared for him. Santiago versus Robbie Lawler I think would have been a ton of fun. That's what I wanted to see. But this should be interesting as well. Santiago definitely needs a win here in the worst of ways, but taking a fighter in his prime and confident on short notice is not going to be an easy task. Santiago trains out of ATT. He is a black belt in BJJ. He is an Ultimate Fighter Brazil alum. He is on a two-fight losing streak, both split decisions. 15 of his 28 wins are via knockout and six via finish. So 28 of his 28, 21 of his 28 wins via finish. Three of his six losses are also via knockout. Four of his last seven fights have either been fight of the night or performance of the night. He's been showing out. Alex has a second-degree black belt in BJJ. He also has a black belt in Taekwondo. He's on a four-fight winning streak. He is a legacy FC and Fury alum. Now, I think this fight's going to be closer than what the odds are letting on. But as long as this fight is a striking fight, I think Santiago is going to take care of business. If Murano looks to get Ponzanibia to the ground, keep him there. It definitely can get interesting. But I'm taking the Argentine dagger. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on to the co-main. Oh, Patty the Batty Pimblet, 27 years old with a 19-3 and record, taking on Jared Flash Gordon. 34 years old with a 19 and 5 record. Now, obviously, Patty is continuing to move his way up. Uh, he's, he's got a very similar career path as Sean O'Malley. I think this is going to be a tough test. It's, it's definitely winnable, uh, winnable for the superstar. I believe this will be his first fight in T Mobile as he fought in the Apex prior. So I'm definitely interested to see how the USA fans show out for him as he's so popular internationally. You know, I'm not as big as a fan. I think he's funny and, you know, 
you know, he's definitely the the Chris from Family Guy in my book. I think he's talented. I don't think he's a, a champion, especially in lightweight. Uh, but this is going to be a tough test. It's going to be a fun one. Patty's got a first-degree black belt in BJJ. He is a Cage Warriors alum and former champion. He's on a five-fight winning streak. He is 3-0 in the UFC, all three performance of the night. Nine of his 19 wins are via submission, and he has a five-inch reach advantage in this fight. Jared trains at a Killcliffe FC. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He is on a one-fight winning streak. He is a Cage Fury alum and former champion, and four of his five losses are via knockout. Again, Jared's battle-tested. He's fucking tough. He's been through a lot of adversity in his life. But Patty's on a roll. He's going to find a way to victory, although I believe it is going to be a hard-fought decision, and I don't think it's going to be an early knockout. I am putting Patty on my parlay. I am marking him down, and we are getting that bread. Moving on to the main event, the short-notice fill-in title fight, Jan Blachowicz. 39 years old with a 29-9 record and the number two next to his name, taking on Megomed Ankalaev, 30 years old with an 18-1 record and the number three next to his name. Again, short notice fight. It was supposed to be Yuri. He had to release the title. Glover wanted more time, um, so he wasn't going to fight Ankalaev, Ankalaev. So insert the Polish power, taking on the young Sambo Dagestanian in his prime, which has not been a good recipe for anybody. But Jan has a Muay Thai background. He has a black belt in BJJ. He is a former light heavyweight champion. He has a Muay Thai IFMA world champion. He is on a one-fight winning streak after losing the title to Glover, and he does have a three-inch reach advantage. Megomed is an international master of sport and combat sambo. He is on a nine-fight winning streak, and 10 of his 18 wins are via knockout. I definitely watched some film on this one, too. I really don't know what to think with this being short notice. I believe Ankalaev is definitely prepared, was kind of in training camp mode, while Jan had talked about how off-guard this was for him. I think he was caught off-guard. I, I think he's kind of scrambling to make this happen. I think Megomed, obviously in his prime, is going to be too quick for Jan. I think he's going to find a way to get the win with a mix of striking and grappling. But the Polish power does exist. He could find a way to knock him out. I like Jan's wrestling, but I think Megomed's is better, so I don't think they'll wrestle. I think it's going to be striking, and I think Megomed's got a better chance in a five-round affair. For that reason, I'm taking Ankalaev. I'm avoiding this on a parlay, if possible. But what a card back in T-Mobile. Another pay-per-view event. Enjoy it before we get a big break, because next Saturday we have another Apex card headlined by Jared the Killer Gorilla Cannoneer taking on Sean Strickland, supposed to happen a while back, got rebooked. That's a 4 p.m. Pacific main card start, but then we have a three-week break for the holidays. I'm going to be talking a lot of different things through that three weeks. We'll be able to recap this next week, You know, have another, you know, a couple weeks of, of breaks. We'll talk about who I think is going to be title holders next year and just fun MMA stuff. I mean, looking at this, we have a year coming up. As of now, UFC 283, headlined by the fourth bout between Figueredo and Moreno. Banger. There's a reason there's been four. I'm all for it. Then we have Islam Makachev versus Alexander Volkanovsky in Perth, Australia. Another international pay-per-view. Let's fucking go. 
Then we're back in the States. UFC 285 for John Jones' return. I hope I can see that in person, and I hope it is Francis Ngannou. And then UFC 286 in London. Edwards, Usman, pound for pound, kill shot, dead. I mean, we have some fights next year. The UFC is getting better and better. It is a boosting stock right now. I can't wait to see what happens. Speaking of a hell of a career, we've also lost some amazing, amazing fighters this year. Uh, Luke Rockhold, Uriah Hall, Jose Aldo, Joanna Young-Jacek, Frankie Edgar, um, Donald Cerrone, now TJ Dillashaw. Uh, it's been a, a Zabit. Zabit was a very high level, officially retired. We've lost some great names. We have more great names coming. It's becoming an evolution of the sport that's getting so high level. Your boy's all about it. I can't wait for the rebranding coming soon, but we'll see you guys next week.